Welcome to the 137th episode of the Young Terps Podcast from the Viner Forgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode, we're talking all about the Terps' wins over Fairfield and Oakland and previewing the Maryland-Nebraska game coming up this Saturday. But before we get into all of that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small entrance, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you were looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, and serving the entire DMV today, contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or visit them on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. On the non-rep report today, we got a lot of disappointing news, honestly. Um, first off, men's soccer fell to number six, Indiana, one nothing in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament, and they also fell out of the coaches' poll. But the season's not over yet for the Terps. They will face Iona in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That game will take place at Ludwig Field tomorrow night at 7 p.m. and will air on BTM+. So I guess if you're going to watch this one, you better head out to College Park. Yeah, and if the team wins, they will take on... The number four seed Wake Forest Demon Deacons in the second round for an ACC throwback matchup. Field hockey season is over after beating St. John's four to nothing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. The team lost to the number three seed Virginia Cavaliers one to nothing in overtime in the second round. Of their three losses this season, Jordan two came against the ACC and two against the Big Ten. Not really the result that we wanted to see out of the field hockey team this year, but. Yet again, another great year. Yeah, that was roughly four losses. Sorry, I messed it up in the script, Mason. But, yeah, that it kind of sucks. Like, the second round sounds a lot worse than it is in field hockey just because there's only 16 teams to start with, so that's the Elite Eight, I guess, if you want to compare it to basketball. But a really disappointing end, in my opinion, to a season that really looked like another championship ambition to start with. End to their season... Uh, really slipped up along down the stretch, and then it ended with an Elite Eight performance, which you can't really um, be too disappointed with. Volleyball finally snapped a 15-set losing streak, or five games, uh, that they lost in a row with a 3-2 to win on the road in Indiana last Friday. Sadly, it was back to the L column right after with a 3 to nothing loss at number 16 Purdue. The Terps return to action Friday night as they host number 25 Illinois at 8 o'clock. Yeah, um, I guess it's a step in the right direction for volleyball, although it really sucks to see them just immediately get swept again. So now they've lost um, 18 out of the last 21 sets, I believe, Mason? Yeah, um, n- not... Oh, sorry, it's 18 out of 23. I got that. I messed that up. Um, but still, really not the season you wanted to have. I thought this program was making more progress than this. Yeah, I mean, it should be. At this point, this is a really disappointing year for the team. Um, one of their... I'm going to say one of their worst, not really knowing the history that well of Maryland and Big Ten volleyball, but definitely one of their near worst showings in the Big Ten. And it's really disappointing because just like a lot like our football team, you're talking about a team that has constant chances against top-tier opponents to get wins that would move the program forward, would push the needle ahead, and they get chances on the Big Ten network, and they get chances in spots where people are watching and they're just not really able to do anything with them this season. But, you know, they've, they brought in some really good recruiting classes and hopefully they'll be able to develop those and, and be back 
to where uh, we thought they would be next season. Well, before we move on, I think the football comparison is actually very spot on, is what it seems like to me, because just like you keep saying every week in football, you know, we had these chances against top-tier opponents, you want to at least compete, and volleyball is doing the same thing here, where they're losing, they're getting blanked, they're losing 3 nothing against teams... Again, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Penn State. The Penn State one really hits home because that was the same sort of thing. It was Axe Bandy on the main floor against a huge crowd for volleyball. And they get blanked. It just really is unfortunate that this... It feels like the same thing. I don't watch enough of the volleyball games, although I did have caught a few sets this season. But it feels like the same story, and that's just really disappointing to see. On to wrestling. The Terps finished fifth in an eight-team tournament at the Black Knight Invitational up at Army uh, West Point. This is one of the top tournaments of the early season, and the Terps did a pretty solid job overall for what was expected. Yeah, I mean, this was a top-tier tournament. Penn State was there, Michigan was there, um, college teams the SEC, Army was there. A lot of them were ranked, and Terps hung with them, which is, I guess, what you can expect. Wrestling is not one of our top-priority sports, I feel like, in Maryland. So if you can compete with big boys, that's all I can really ask for at the moment. Yep, as we move on here down to what is... Our last team, before we get to the Pro Terps and some other Terp news here on the rundown, uh, which is women's basketball. The Terps lost junior guard Shanice Lewis last Tuesday to a knee injury that will keep her out for at least a couple of months. The number eight Lady Terps struggled to a 70-68 victory at James Madison. Maryland was down 16 going into the fourth quarter and outscored the Dukes 29-11 in the final frame to earn the W. Shakira Austin set her career high with 20 points, including 12 in the fourth quarter. And Maryland then went on to Sunday where they took care of business against Delaware with a new starting lineup with a 99-55 blowout over the Blue Hens. Led the team with a career high 23 points, including five three-pointers. There's a total of six Terps in double figures against the Blue Hens. The Terps return to action against GW at 7 tonight. Yeah, um... That James Madison game, I think they really missed Shanice Lewis. But the Terps have to try to right the ship here. This is the second guard they lost to a knee injury this season. That might damage them, especially when it comes down the stretch. But for now, I know Brendan Fries was not happy with the Terps' performance down in Harrisonburg against James Madison. No, but it did put the Terps in a close game situation that they were able to pull out a win, so that could become a positive. You have to get into many close games in Big Ten play and then, of course, in the NCAA tournament. Some other Terps news before we get to the Pro Terps. Juan Dixon led Coppin State to a victory over Loyola Chicago. The team is now 1-5 on the season, but a huge win for them, and the rest of the team is playing well. Maryland women's lacks one program of the decade from inside lacrosse. Maryland men's lacrosse had their signing day featuring three players in the inside lacrosse 2020 top 25, uh, including the number four, number 18, number 24th player in the nation. Yeah, um... Coppin State, you know, they're bottom of the tier, bottom of the bin program. So competing in these games is as much as you, I guess, dared hope for in that conference. Um, women's lacks winning the program of the decade. I mean, I think they earned it. And I don't know, Mason, is is three in the top twenty-five good for Maryland lacrosse? That one, I'm pretty sure this is a smaller class uh, for this year for Coach Tillman and the lacrosse team. But we'll see come uh, All American time how many Terps are in the Under Armour All-American game? Well, 
keep them going on the early signing period, um, early signing day for basketball. Um, let me produce one recruit in the 2020 class for both men's and women's. On the men's side, you got still got Marcus Dockery, the three-star combo guard. Um, look, I don't really understand what happened in this class. It seems like a lot of people don't, but Marcus Dockery is still good yet. Um, number 155 overall, according to 24-7's composite rankings. And, look, point guards are important. 6'1", 175, a lot of people compare him to Anthony Cowan. And if that's true, you can't really go wrong. I'd still like to see more players in this class, but there's also not the main graduating, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, they're really using Anthony Cowan, Joshua Tomajic, and then I believe some walk-ons. Well, you also, I think you at least lose Jalen Smith and maybe Aaron Wiggins. So, yeah, you have some guys that could replace him on the team this year, but maybe... Uh, maybe Mark Turgeon's playing for a big 21-21 class. Well, I think that's why you added Hakeem Hart at the end of the uh, cycle this last year and tried to kind of, I guess, glaze over knowing that you weren't going to get a good class in 2020. Add some guys late in the cycle, cycle of 2019 and kind of prepare for the future with really with Hakeem Hart. Well, on the women's side, uh, also a woman recruit, but a much bigger deal of a recruit. Angel Reese, the number two player in the country, according to ESPNW, uh, committed. She's from, um, I believe, St. Francis in Baltimore, and she's the highest-rated recruit in program history for the women. Uh, should do go a long way to replacing Kayla Charles on the wing. Look, if there's one recruit, number two in the country ain't bad. No, not at all, and that, that's a great ad for Brenda Freeze and the Lady Terps. Uh, now let's move into... The Pro Terps for the last two weeks, starting off with Stefan Diggs. Diggs had three catches for 49 yards against the Cowboys and rebounded this past weekend with five catches on five targets for 121 yards and a TD last week. Also likely to break 1,000 yards coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Darnell Savage for the Packers had was on 100% of defensive snaps two weeks ago with four and a half tackles and was on bye this past week. Yeah, picking it right up with Yaki Ngakwe. 76% of snaps last week with a sack, four tackles, and a forced fumble in the Jags. Um, blowout loss to the Colts. Trey Edmonds still seeing some action with seven carries for 12 yards in the last two weeks. Maybe not as well as he was doing his first performance, but he's still on the field. That's more than he's been able to say in the past. Also, had well, yeah, He had an interception. Oh, you're right, and I totally forgot about that. Okay, well, you know what? If you're running back in an interception, he's still proving used to the team then. Um, J.C. Jackson didn't do much against the Ravens a couple weeks ago. Uh, played 40% of the snaps. Rebounded this week, though, with 68% of the snaps and three tackles and a pass defended with the against the Eagles. So J.C. Jackson finally got the doghouse in New England. Yeah, and uh, moving right along to Quentin Jefferson, 69% of the snaps and one assisted tackle against the 49ers two weeks ago. Uh, received... Praise on air for drawing a couple of penalties. Great squad of Monday Night Football um, announcing on ESPN. And uh, they, Quinton uh, was on by the uh, this past weekend. Well, yes, Monday Night Squad kind of sucks. But they did bring up a point that I keep hearing and I kind of agree with. There needs to be better stat tracking for drawing holding penalties. Because holding penalties are effectively sacks. Like you're losing 10 yards on those. They're better than those sacks. And this is probably yardage lost. I feel like that should be better tracked. On defense, but that's that's a me thing. But that's draw. I feel like drawing a penalty. I feel like they are tracked. 
about who committed them. But with a lot of holding penalties, you don't really draw. I mean, it, do you really draw a holding penalty? Or are we now talking about did they draw a holding penalty or was it a holding penalty? Because dr- like, the, the term of drawing a penalty kind of makes it sound like it didn't really happen. Well, I mean, in like the way that they, there is something that Pro Football Focus put out a couple weeks ago that like Aaron Donald had the most holding penalties called on people trying to block him over the past two years or something like that, like, there definitely is trends that better pass rushers draw more penalties. And I think that should be part of evaluating how defensive pass rushers do, like, how, how they play. But I understand what you're saying, too, that sometimes just they're just playing people that just commit penalties a lot, too. Yep, so moving down the list here to Jermaine Carter, still mostly just on special teams for Jermaine, managed to play a possession on defense and recorded tackle last week. And finally, Ty Johnson, seven carries for 22 yards combined over the last two weeks. So Ty really starting to lose playing time out in Detroit. Uh, Josh Woods, finally active, played 14 special team snaps for the Bears. And then we have our list of injuries and DNPs. Yep, uh, Vernon Davis still injured. Sean Davis on IR. Byron Coward, I don't know what he did, but he's still not playing. Darius Kogo still on IR. And our trip of the week, without question, over the last two weeks has been DJ Moore. Nine catches for 20, or sorry, 120 yards against the Packers two weeks ago, then eight catches for 95 yards last week. You know, despite him not really getting off to a great start of the season, he's tracking to break 1,000 yards this year. Yeah, DJ Moore, really a guy that you can always count on. I, mean, I know Maryland did, especially when Max Bordenschlager was in there, quarterback. Uh, DJ's just a really special player. You know, yeah, it, it doesn't. It hasn't really seemed like he's having a great year, but he's made a lot of big catches and a lot of you know long touchdowns. And and the weird, at least what's weird to me, is he's doing this while Kyle Allen has just been falling apart in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if there's a coincidence there, or Kyle feels safer with DJ Moore now that he's not playing as well. But there does seem to be a relationship between the Panthers losing and DJ Moore playing well. I don't know why that's there, but. It does seem, definitely seem to be a thing, and I'm not the only person that's noticed this. You know, I think DJ Moore um, really picked it up and really became the player that he was for Maryland when they had all their quarterback trouble. You know, and it, we never, unfortunately, uh, with a lot of these Chirps receivers, whether it be Stephon Diggs and Deion Long or DJ Moore, or, you know, the list just goes on and on, really, uh, of Maryland receivers. You, know, you can throw your you know, Tavon and Lieber and Jacobs in there, Marcus Leak, you know, the guys that have gotten these chances in the NFL. They never really had solid quarterbacks to play with. So we never really got to see what DJ Moore looked like if Kasim Hill or Tyrell Pigroom was happened to be able to stay healthy. Or you never really got to see, I mean, Stefan Diggs and Deion Long, I believe, were playing, or I know Diggs was definitely playing the year that Sean Petty was playing quarterback for Maryland. Yeah, C.J. Brown was hurt, and you have this full list of guys that Maryland's had, especially a receiver, that didn't really get to experience what they could have been with a full quarterback or with a healthy team around them, and that's really unfortunate. D.J. Moore's one of those guys, so it makes sense he would step up kind of in the situation that he's been in before. I guess it does, and you know, the Terps are putting these receivers out at a pretty decent clip considering the state of the program recently. D.J. Moore and Stephon Diggs both taking 1,000 yards in the same season. Uh, this is going to be a pain for me, but I'm going to have to look when the last time two men receivers broke 1,000 yards in the NFL was. I would think that... 
I don't know. I, I don't know. It might be Vernon Davis and Torrey Smith. I don't know if Vernon Davis actually ever got over a thousand yards. Um, but I will look and I will find out and tell you guys next time. But for now, Mason, you, are you feeling basketball or football first this week? Uh, let's 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 talk football first. Here, um, the news coming out today that Johnny Jordan, Maryland center and Rivington Award watchlist, uh, won at that. Might be done for the season due to personal reasons. Coach Loxie said that today. Um, just just throwing more salt in the wound. Look, that's it's probably the wrong way to look at this, but we, we have a lost season anyway. We're three and seven. We're not making a bowl game. I, there's no, if he if something's up with him, which I would think like something's probably pretty wrong for him not to play for, due to personal reasons, then. I'm not going to fault him for it. The season's over anyway. Don't, in your words, salt in the wound. If something's really going on with you, don't put yourself on the line like this in a season that's already gone. Yeah, and just uh, going back here, Vernon Davis has actually never had a 1,000 yards receiving in a single season. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. So I'm going to say it's never happened before, two Maryland receivers getting 1,000 yards. So if that is true, that would be awesome to happen this year. Yeah, um, Vernon Davis has gotten really close, but no 1,000-yard seasons. Yeah, I agree with that. Johnny Jordan's probably going through something very serious at the moment. Um, it's good. Mental health, you know, obviously a big thing that Coach Loxley uh, is passionate about. So maybe I'm, I'm sure that discussion has gone down, and, and Johnny just probably needs some time away from the team and to spend some time with his family. But from the football perspective, it definitely means that Ellis McKinney will most likely be stepping in at center. And I don't really know what's going to happen with the offensive line. I guess we're back to Austin Fontaine and Spencer Anderson on one side of the line. So against Nebraska, it should be pretty interesting because the Cornhuskers have not been able to stop anybody on the ground this season. They're on an absolute slide. And Scott Frost's job is starting to look like it's in trouble. Well, Scott Frost was just extended last week, actually. His job is in trouble. Well, I don't know about that. I've been reading. I've actually been focusing on the Nebraska team recently. Um, it seems like the Nebraska fan base believes Scott Frost is the guy. They didn't think he's the best chance they have to maintain relevance again. Um, Nebraska's story this season, as well as you kind of handed out, that has been fascinating to watch and a little bit sad. Um, they have lost four straight games after starting out four and two. They got blue by Minnesota, which looks a lot better in retrospect. Um, and then they've lost close games to Indiana, Purdue, and then lost significantly last week to Wisconsin. They desperately need this game. They're four and six. They're playing Iowa next week. If you can win this game, get some momentum going again, you have a chance against Iowa at home to be bowl eligible. And honestly, I'm scared only because they have a lot more to play for than we do right now. Yeah, but for Maryland, you have to you have to factor in. This is senior day. This is your your last home game for a lot of these guys, and I'm not gonna. Really, I think it's going to be a lot of the last home game, and I think a lot of these guys know it for them. Even if you're not a senior, there are going to be some guys that are leaving this program. This is their last game at Maryland. This is their last game at the place where they earn their college offer, and I think that does mean a lot to a lot of these guys, and I think a lot of them want to send these seniors out, out with a win. The thing that I really do want to talk about with Maryland football is Coach Loxley said that you... The, the the fan base and the media and all these people have not seen all of the little wins they've had in this program over since he's taken over. 
Jordan, what do, what do, what do you think about that statement? This may be a side effect to be working athletics for about a calendar year now, but I actually think little wins are a thing. And they might not show right away, but those are the type of things that you can use to build on as a program. Now, here's the thing with them. Little wins only matter, really, if they affect big wins later on. You can have little wins. Like, you can say your team's making progress. You can see that in practice and then have it come to fruition later on. But I'm going to say two things about that. Once again, they only really matter in the grand scheme of things if they affect bigger wins in the future. And the other part is the little wins only matter so much if you really are going to change the roster next year, which a lot of people seem to think will happen. And if that's the, if that's the case, then it kind of questions the value of how much those little wins are worth. That's what I'll say on that comment. Yeah, and I kind of agree with that. Um, you can have little wins as a program. That's great. I don't understand how there is any winning when the results given on the field on Saturdays have happened. I don't see it. I don't understand. How can we be saying that we're... It's like when Randy Etzel says they're a winning program off the field while they're getting smashed on the field. I get that Coach Soxie probably likes what he brought in. Cortez Andrews has been a guy that's been pointed out a lot, even though he's now injured. Um... Marcus Finger has been a, a multiple-time Scout Team Player of the Week. Dante Banks. I mean, we've seen, or Dante Banks, um, Levante Gator. We're seeing these guys, some of these guys on the field. Sam O. But how are we saying that we're winning in any capacity right now? And and seeing the results 73-14, to 59-0, 52-10. Ridiculous. They're not even doing that well in recruiting. Or, I actually have a different kind of view on that. I think they, if they can land some of these JUCO guys, they're going to be very well off in recruiting. But unless there are, unless we're almost considering wins, and I do consider this personal thing that I'm about to say a win, is a win. Is unless they, they came into this year saying we need to weed out all the guys that we don't think are giving 100% effort, all the guys that we don't think should be here anymore, I think they have a pretty good look at, at what, what guys they need to then ask to leave the program. And then be able to replace those guys with JUCOs and recruits and other guys on the roster and be prepared for that big movement. And the transfer portal, we, we, can, we can scrap together a, quote, winning year if we can change the culture for next year. And I think that's kind of what you were pointing to, Jordan. But that's how I can see this being a winning year, is if we stop losing games starting next year, 59-0. At this point, I would take a win if Maryland lost one game a season by that number and stop losing multiple by that number. But we need to stop getting blown out. We need to get rid of the guys that I don't, frankly, at this point, given the results over the past couple of years, just don't care if they lose by that much or not. Well, here's a statistic I just did the math on and researched. Over this five-game losing streak that Maryland's been on, we have given up on average 47.4 points a game. We have scored 14.6, and in our last combi- combined five games, we have scored 73 points, which is how much Ohio State scored in us last time we played. In our last combined five games, we've scored that many points. Yeah, things have not been working out. I'm hoping that Lance will be the quarterback on Saturday against Nebraska because Nebraska has been terrible against the run this year. Nebraska is a team that I can see Maryland beating. Um, 
since their loss 48-7 to Ohio State. Nebraska beat Northwestern by 3, lost to Minnesota by 27, lost to Indiana by 7, lost to Purdue, and lost to Wisconsin. Maryland should be able to put up a fight against Nebraska if not win this game. I'm saying the Terps go out with Lance and they get a win. Well, I would like to believe you. I don't know if I really do, though. I would like to see Lance play. At this point, Lance can play the last two games against Nebraska and Michigan State, who I really look forward to talking about Michigan State next week, um, and still maintain his freshman status next year. And I hope I hope he plays. We're in that almost, what's, what do you want to call it? It's a tanking phase at this point. Where yeah, it's, it's garbage time. It's garbage time. The season's in garbage time for us. It's not for Nebraska, though. And that may be, I said this earlier, kind of, but that may be the difference in this game, is Nebraska is in fighting and clawing for a bowl game. And hell hath no fury like a team clawing for their postseason. Unless they don't care. But it doesn't seem, it seems like they do care because Nebraska's not losing like we are. Nebraska lost Indiana and Purdue both by the skin of their teeth, and they... Maryland lost Indiana by their skin of their teeth. Yeah, they lost Purdue by 26, and they lost to Ohio State by 59. Look, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that uh, this Nebraska team uh, finds ways to lose games that they should win and find ways to get blown out by every big name, just like Maryland does, by what? Yeah, but Ten points blowouts, less. Hold on, you keep saying their blowout would our blowouts be better? Their blowouts aren't really blowouts the same way as ours are. They lost to Ohio State by forty-one. Okay, we lost by fifty-nine. We played seventy-three points. They lost. They competed for part of the game against Wisconsin. Like this Nebraska team is showing fight in ways that we want to show fight. Yeah, I can see us beating them, but I don't think it's really likely. Just because the same thing you keep saying, Nebraska is showing more fight than we are. But you're also talking about a team that's terrible against the only thing that Maryland can do. I just think that Nebraska's on a similar slide to Maryland. Regardless, at the end of the day, I mean, you're looking at a Nebraska team that has lost four games in a row. If you're Maryland, you see, this is what I think Maryland should do. This is why I think Maryland's going to win this game is if you're Maryland, and you're Michael Oxley, and I hope to God he does this. I don't get, I don't care if this is a, you're, if you're a senior and this is your last game here. If you have not shown me fight, if you have not shown me effort, if I plan on n- not really seeing you here next year, which I'm... ...list of guys that he is sure will not be here next year. I'm not playing you. These last two games are for the people that tried hard. I'm, I don't care if they're walk-ons. I don't care if they're freshmen. I don't care really who they are. All I care about is the effort. If I can play your ass and lose 73-14, to 14, I will go and play my walk-ons who try hard in practice and lose 84-0. to zero. At this point, I do not care. We are getting blown out one way or the other. We might as well put the guys out there that put the effort in, in practice. I, at this point, if I was coaching Maryland, if I'm on the strength and conditioning staff, if I'm on any way, I would beg Loxley to bench every player that he does not think tries hard. Put the guys out there that you think are going to give you effort. Even at this point, if they don't give you the best chance to win. I'm tired of seeing sorry-ass looks see a team that tries hard, regardless of the score. Because you can obviously tell that these guys are better than 73-14, to 14, so... 
if the guys are going to give us effort and they're going to lose 52-0, to zero, might as well put those guys out there. That's all I got to say on this. Put the guys out there that, get, that give a damn. Stop playing the guys that just don't show. Alright, well, I don't have anything that's going to top that intensity. Um, I'm going to do a prediction before we move on to our happier basketball land here. Um, I'll let you go first, Mason. Uh, Nebraska is favored by 5 over under 62.5 for this game, 3-7 Maryland, 4-6 and six Nebraska. Somehow, I have no idea how. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. But I think Coach Loxie does put the guys out there that show effort, and I think they do win this game. I don't know for what reason. But there are going to be a lot of Nebraska fans there on Saturday. So if you could help out the Maryland Coalition, I will be there on Saturday. Help out the Maryland Coalition. Uh, get out, support this team. You know, I do, regardless of how, how, how negative I've been these past few weeks, I want this team to win more than anything. I want this team to finish this year 5-7. and seven. I think they're playing against two teams that are frankly in a pretty similar situation uh, on the end of the coach's leash. And I think that we can pull this thing together. If Maryland somehow scraps a 5-7 and seven year, the whole narrative changes. The whole story changes. Suddenly, you're one game away from a bowl. You're like, oh, if we just beat that Temple team, we could have been in a bowl game. Now, given that, I don't think Maryland's going to beat Michigan State next week, but I do think they'll beat Nebraska. Lance takes the Terps home. Triple option look. A lot of, a lot of short passes. A lot of easy completions. I think you're going to see what, you, what we should have been seeing the, the entire season. Probably was Piggy in there, quarterback, not Lance. But I think Maryland gets the win. Uh, that's my optimism that I have. But there are some facts that do help Maryland out. Nebraska is one of the worst rush defenses in the FBS. They have been sliding. Not as bad as we have, but they've been sliding as well. You could definitely see a win out of this. And I don't really, but I definitely would not be surprised if we managed to pull this one out. But I'm going to say the desperate Nebraska team wins out. Nebraska wins 38-31 to 31 and keeps their dull hopes alive for another week. But I think we're going to see an island performance that gives us hope for next year. Yeah, and at this point, the only thing that you can really point to and say we have hope for next year is with Lance. And the fact that Terrence Davis is coming back, Johnny Jordan's going to be back. Um, maybe Maryland can find a real tackle to replace Jalen Duncan. I- I'm just saying that if Maryland can, can use the JUCOs, and the transfer portal right, this team, you can start to build something. You can start to kind of scrap things together. You're not going to get a huge, huge jump, but I think you can add a lot of guys that are going to be way more serviceable towards your cause, going to have way more of what Coach Loxley wants to see out of these guys. I'm not saying in any way that Maryland is... so far from what Loxley wants it to be and so far from what we want it to be. I'm just saying that there's a lot of poison in the locker room. There is an obvious amount of improvement that needs to be made up front, but the staff is using the right ways to do it. They are going to bring in a lot of JUCO guys on both lines. They are going to try and recruit what they can on both sides of the offense and defensive line and start to build their culture, what they want to see with the sized guys that are appropriate for this conference. And I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of, and I'll use Coach Lockett's word, a lot of small victories moving forward that, that start to build into something and build into a program that, that we can be proud of. Now let's talk uh, about basketball. Yes. Um, 
right. Um, I didn't see the Oakland game. I'll be upfront about that. Neither did you, Mason, because it's on BTN Plus, and we're not paying $40 to watch a game on TV. So we'll just gloss over the box score of that and then talk about Well, I did um, listen to Johnny Walton Chris for this one. All right, then we can talk a little more about it, but our moment focus is going to be on Fairfield, which we did see. Um, the first thing that I that jumps off the box score to me, Mason, is Darren Marcel goes six for eight from the field and, three, and two of two from deep. I mean, that's something you definitely did not see last year. No, not at all, not even in a game against an Oakland team. Um, Terps, not really with a fast start against Oakland. Uh, really not even really a fast start against Fairfield that much either, but... That, that's one thing that you got to look at. Maryland overall against Oakland just blew them out. It's as simple as that. It was a team that you're supposed to blow out at a time that I do not really appreciate for a basketball game against such a low kind of end opponent. 12 o'clock on a Saturday, not 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 great start time. But you got to win out of it. I mean, you, your players did their job. That's one of those games where you can point to the talent and say, uh, yeah, we're just about 20 points better than them, 30 points better than them, and we did that. You can't talk about this game without talking about Reese Mona, six minutes, two of two, and one of one from deep. Um, that got the student assumption jumping. I don't know if you saw the video, Mason, but Jalen Smith like, ran out under the basket, and Daryl Marcel thought he was going to get tech for that, and Reese Mona hit three. Yeah, so, Reese is a kid that works really hard, and it's a kid that I love seeing make plays. You know, he's a guy that you, you got to say, you know, brings in practice, could have been a different school uh on a scholarship and say he's a walk-on in Maryland. And I think that that, that kind of showed, and it was nice to see that his teammates were as excited as I was about it. We also had Will Clark making a bucket. Over the last three two games, we've had um, all three walk-ons have scored. Uh, Reese Mona scored, and Will Clark scored against Oakland, and Travis Dobbin hit a three against Fairfield. I mean, for this like almost preseason-ish basketball, it doesn't get any better than that. That's what you want to see in these games. At least that's what I want to see in these games. Yeah, uh, Coach Churgeon has always kind of rubbed me wrong with how little he's played his walk-ons other than Varun Rahm. And it's great to see him playing uh, Valman and and Will Clark and Reese Mona and getting them actual minutes. You know, you see six minutes from uh, uh, Reese Mona against Oakland. That That's more time than I think I've ever seen Turge give to his walk-ons. Looks like another blowout, and again, we didn't watch the game, so we're not going to talk too much about this one. Fairfield, though, I have several things to say about. So, first things off, Maryland went 74-55. The game was only this close because Fairfield shot out of their minds from three. They finished 12-25, but believe me, they shot better than that. They missed most of those for the end of the game. This um, Landon Terrafalo guy, who went 5-9 from nine from three from the night, just, I think he made like the first five of six, though. Like, they just could not stop making threes and kept them in the game longer than they probably should have been. But that wasn't really the Terps' defensive fault. Like, they played some pressure out early that exposed them to open threes, but they changed it in the second half, and Fairfield kind of taped off from deep. On our side, Jalen Smith in this game, I thought, had one of his better performances of the Terp. 5 of 8 with 17 points and 8 rebounds. Got to the line 9 times. I don't know. Like, Mason, you, I assume you saw that the putback dunk that Jalen Smith had in the uh, early second half was just an epic play. Yeah, sorry, it first half, yeah, bad. it was, and so was uh, Aaron Wiggins' jam. Wiggins only was six in this game, but it seems like Maryland, 
and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. As far as where you and I both see this team going, Maryland is not shooting the three well enough to be that team and is not making free throws well enough to be that team. Those are my two things I got to point to. Turnovers really went down in this game, but you're you're seeing, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong also on this, you're seeing a team, a lot like a lot of Turgeon teams do, that can just out-talent Fairfield. They out-talent Oakland. They run and gun. They, they play sloppy basketball. They're not making the shots. These are games where you're supposed to be doing the things right. I just talked about this the other week on the ESPN broadcast I did here in Jacksonville. They were playing against a D3 opponent. In the second half of that game, the game became a nine-point game. And, and the color guy, who who was a kind of Gary Williams tough guy, did it all, played all five positions, in his last year averaged a double-double with points and rebounds, playing any could play center to point guard, said that in a game like this, the coaches look for things. you got to do the small things right. Because they were at a, there was a point in that game where Jacksonville was leading by 29, and you could see them calling timeouts to correct things. Maryland and Mark Turgeon, and this is really just Mark Turgeon, it's not, it has nothing to do with Maryland, just kind of looks at the result. I don't really think they focus in on the little things. Let's not turn the ball over this many times this game. Let's not, um, you know, miss a bunch of three-pointers. Let's take the right shots. Let's do all these little things right. I just don't see Maryland coaching doing that. I kind of disagree, actually, this time. I think that there were some things that could be corrected. One of the biggest knocks on the team really is that they're just not shooting it that well, which is something that you can that just fixes itself almost, or it doesn't. It's shooting is a hard thing to judge in terms of coaching. Um, but we were – it's not like – there have been games in the past that you're right, Mason, that we see us, we're not getting out-efforted, we're turning the ball over, we're committing fouls. That wasn't really this game. We weren't playing sloppy ball that much. I really wasn't so talking about – well, sorry to cut you off, but I really wasn't talking about the Fairfield game. I was just talking about the way the teams performed almost to the point, this point in the season. Yes, and I think that we didn't see that as much. There's, there were things in this game that you could point to and say that's better than what we've seen in the past. Now, one of the things, if you really want to criticize something, one of the things you need that's raising alarms for me in a huge way is the play of Dante Scott and the Mitchell twins, specifically Makai Mitchell. Mikel um, is actually playing pretty well, I think. Makai and Dante Scott are both really struggling in ways that you don't want to see. They're they're not playing well on offense. They're not getting a ton of rebounds. And they're forcing, again, this is what we were afraid of almost. You're forcing Daryl Morcel to play power forward again because these guys aren't playing super well. And Dante Scott's really surprised me in his struggles. He's just he's just a non-impact player so far this season. Mikel Mitchell is probably the best freshman on this team right now, which is something I didn't expect. Um, but Dante Scott and Mikai need to get better. They need to put some offense on the floor, and they even just getting rebounds are struggling with. I don't understand what's wrong with them. They're getting pushed around out there, especially um, Makai Mitchell. Yeah, um, the big man progression is something that you're definitely going to have to watch going into Big Ten play. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Terps' next game. Thanksgiving Day, Maryland will be taking on Temple. Temple. Wait, wait, one, more, one more thing before we go. There's actually a couple points I wanted to hit real quick, though. Um, Anthony Cowan played well, despite the box score. He did a good job rating his shots in when the game was kind of in contention. And I wanted to shout your guy out here, Mason. Ricky Lundo might win player of the game this week. Six of six, seven rebounds, 13 points. 
again, a little bit of foul trouble, but Ricky Lindo was phenomenally efficient on offense, and that's something that we've waited to see for a long time. Yes, Ricky Lindo and Coach Churgeon said it. He just has to play like Ricky Lindo can. That's all he's got to do. And I completely agree with that. Very excited for the way Ricky Lindo played because he did not have a great start to the season. Let's talk about the Temple game for a second here. Given everything that I just said and that you just said, you're playing against a team in Temple without without Coach Dunphy. Now, he's retired. But still a notoriously tough team that has given teams like Maryland a fit. How do we see how do you kind of prepare for that game? Because I do not think with the games that Maryland's been playing, they're gonna like the result they get against Temple Thanksgiving Day. Oh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, and I think that a lot of people well, I first off, the first first thing I wanna say actually is don't sleep on George Mason. They're undefeated this part of the season. Um this is their first road game, so that might throw them off a little bit, but just watch them. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Temple is in is probably the best team we played so far. Rhode Island might have something to say about that, but Temple has been um, kind of hyped up a lot by this fan base because a lot of, us, of the fans are afraid of what you just said. Temple is a tough team. They're not a great, flashy, shooty team, and they're in a bit of a rebuild year, but they always play tough, and Maryland's a struggle with that. Here's what I'm going to say. And this is, I might get burned on this later, but I really do think we have seen Jalen Smith play much tougher this year. Especially I do, I'd agree with Springfield. that. I'd agree with that. He's bulked up, he's tougher, he can really play like a man now, which I'm kind of surprised to see. Um, if he can keep that going, and he can combine his toughness with staying out of trouble and his offensive skill set, he will be able to win us games like this. My concern is, really, at this point, if, if I'm just gonna put this out there for you, actually, Jalen Smith gets four fouls, Mason. What happens to this team? I think it blows up currently. Or you end up with Anthony Cowan throwing up 30 shots. I completely did forget about the George Mason game. George Mason always a team that you got to got to look at. You know, ever since they're one of those teams that made one of those Final Four runs, so you got to keep an eye on them. They have not lost to the po- this point in the season. If Jalen Smith gets gets in foul trouble. I think Maryland is in a spot where Anthony Cowan will end up jacking up shots, kind of losing his rhythm of the game. The the guy that everyone pointed to and said has to do things and make his three-point shots, which is Aaron Wiggins, we have not seen what we need to see out of Wiggins yet. We really haven't. He's kind of slipped out of the eye of everybody. He has not had a great start to the season, and it looks like he's another shooter that Mark Turgeon has not done um, a great job of of keeping that way. But we'll see. You know, you're, you're still in the early stages. We're still, what is it, four games, three games in now. Get George Mason done on Friday. And then that Thanksgiving tournament, as we said before, we're going to see a lot of what Maryland's made of then. That you also got a matchup against Notre Dame for the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming up. There, there's a lot to look for, forward to. A lot of games to kind of get yourself ready for those first two Big Ten games. And then before you know it, we'll be seeing Big Ten basketball and really get to see what Maryland's made of. But with that, I think that's a wrap for today's podcast. Yep. Um, next week, we're both going to be in the DMV again, aren't we? Um, Mason, you're not going to make it to George Mason game, are you? No, I'm flying in on Friday. I'll be at the Nebraska game on Saturday. If you see me out there, uh, feel free to um, rant to me about Maryland football. I will um, be be willing to talk. I really want to get a gauge of what people think about this team, what people think about what Coach Loxley's doing, so I can um, broadcast it over the podcast airwaves here. 
But I'm looking forward to seeing good effort out of Maryland football. If not, you'll be seeing a full Mason A. Viner appearance on the uh, post-game show on the, the Jack Litch Log, Log Group post-game show uh, on Saturday from the field at Maryland Stadium. But I guess until then, this time... Well, there's actually one more thing I wanted to give our Yentrick fans a shout-out to. Our next podcast will probably be early next week. We'll talk about the George Mason game, preview the tournament, the um, Orlando Invitational Tournament, and talk Nebraska football as well. But I think we're scheduled for Yentrick's takeover of the Truck Talk Radio Show next week, if I'm not mistaken, Mason. So, yes, I believe on, on November 27th, on... Uh, the normal Turf Talk Radio spot, which is 6 o'clock on a Wednesday, so November 27th, which is a Wednesday. Uh, Jordan, I, and Wayne will be taking over Turf Talk Radio. Make sure to tune into that radio.com app if you're not in the Baltimore area. If you're in the Baltimore area, just uh, flip the dial over to 1300 CBS Sports Radio. And yeah, there will probably most likely be a Young Turf Takeover segment on on Wednesday night, but... I really have no idea what the mood of that show is going to be, given um, I'm sure we'll be still a happy basketball mood with a win over George Mason. But from the football perspective, there, there should be some season recapping and really, I guess, some more ranting if we see a terrible performance out of Maryland. But it could be, it could be a really positive uh, couple of shows for, for us coming up. But make sure to check the Wayne Sharp YouTube page for our post-game reactions on Saturday. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors of the Young Turfs Podcast, Viner Four Gates and Rockville, for all of your business IT needs. Call 301-251-2900 or visit them on the web at the number one, Viner.com, and Allied Party Rentals. For all of your party rental needs, big or small, Allied is your place to go. You can visit them at AlliedPartyRentals.com. And as always, thanks for listening.